Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. There are three ways, basically, that Congress can enforce a subpoena to demand that somebody come before Congress. And the first is to basically uh, seek a civil judgment, to sue somebody for contempt of Congress. It's a misdemeanor, it's a $100,000 fine, it's a year in jail. But convicting somebody of this can take years. So that's probably not the option that Congress should follow. The second option is what I've been talking about in this program forever, which is that Congress can refer a complaint to the Department of Justice for actual criminal prosecution or to have the U.S. Marshals or whatever, you know, get somebody and drag them over to Congress. But that means you're asking Bill Barr to help out. And Bill Barr is, you know, a Trump partisan and has made that quite clear. So there's a third option that Congress used as the only way that they dragged people in front of Congress in the first hundred years of this republic. And they continued to use it right up until 1934. And in 1930, and the Supreme Court ruled several times during the first 150 years of the of the United States, that it was totally legal, just fine, no problem, Congress can do this. And that is uh, this concept of what's called inherent contempt. That is contempt of Congress. You refuse to show up for a subpoena. You refuse to come if you're invited to speak. We are going to hold you in contempt. And we are going to hold the trial not in the court system, using federal judges and federal courts. We're going to hold the trial here in Congress. And we're not going to ask for a federal prosecutor. If you're holding a trial in the courts, the courts are Article 3, right? There's three articles. The first three articles of the Constitution establish the three branches of government. Article 1 is Congress. Article 2 is the White House, is the presidency, the executive branch, which is where all the police power is. Article 1, Congress has legislative power, taxing, spending. Article 2, the executive branch, that's where the president, the military, and your police powers. And then Article 3 is the judiciary, the courts. So, you know, one of the ways to, to enforce this, this order, you know, this, this contempt citation would be to go to the courts, right, the, the Article Three branch. And in going to the courts, you would have to have the Article Two branch, that is the presidency, the Department of Justice, provide you with prosecutors. And, you know, the odds are that the Article Three branch, which would end up probably being the Supreme Court fairly quickly, 
you know, you've got Justice Beer over there, right? Uh, you know, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and three other crazed right wingers. So I'm not, you know, hold my breath for using the courts. But if Congress does everything themselves, if they hold the trial in the House of Representatives, if staff or members of the House of Representatives act as prosecutors, and the House itself acts as judge and jury, then you've got Congress having the very real ability to indict and convict somebody. And then the question, the question becomes, you know, to what extent can Congress send, and this, this is something that is almost certainly going to end up before the Supreme Court the day after Congress tries it. To what extent can Congress exercise police powers? They do have a sergeant at arms. They do have their own police force. But the police force of Congress is typically kind of limited to Congress, to that building, to the Capitol building. So these are the three options, and as long as Trump, Pence, and Barr, as long as all of them are on the same page of we are going to obstruct this, no matter what, we're going to do everything we can, we're not going to prosecute anybody, we're not going to, you know, nothing. It's all obstruction all the time. This may be Congress's only option, but even there, their police powers are fairly limited. The, the thing is that this is the first time in the history of the republic this is the first time in the history of the United States that a president, a Department of Justice, that all these people have refused to do anything. It's pretty shocking, actually. It's very shocking. On the line with us is Alan Lichtman. He is the author of a new book, The Case for Impeachment. He's also the Distinguished Professor of History at American University. Alan Lichtman, L-I-C-H-T-M-A-N is his Twitter handle. And uh, Professor Lichtman, welcome to the program. And thank you for writing this book. First of all, before we actually get into you know, what's in your book, I'm wondering, this book came out before the Mueller report did, is there anything that you would add to it now, given what you know from what you've learned from Robert Mueller's investigation? The book actually came out even before Robert Mueller was appointed as uh, independent special counsel. Mm -hmm. Sure, there are some things I would add based on what I now know a long time before the book came out. Uh, even the revised paperback edition came out long before the Mueller Report, But I have to say this, that while the Mueller report adds detail and verisimilitude to the story, basically it is not much different than what I laid out in my book, where I had a chapter on the Russia connection, talked about the Trump Tower meeting, have a chapter on Trump flouting the law throughout his life and career, someone who had no concern whatsoever for the law or rules. I have a chapter on Trump lies. Of course, at that time, when I published the book, certain details were not yet known, and certain actions had not yet taken place, or at least were not known to me, such as Trump's efforts to uh, fire the special counsel through the White House counsel McGahn, McGahn's refusal, Trump's than telling him to lie. And in particular, of course, I didn't know anything yet about the hush money payments to uh, 
the porn star and the Playboy model, and certainly nothing yet about the fact that Trump had in criminal violation of the campaign finance laws directed Michael Cohen to make the payments and then tried to keep them secret and not report them on his uh, Federal Election Commission reports. That's not a technical violation. The campaign finance laws are designed precisely to avoid the corruption of our democracy, and that's what Trump was doing. But I have to say the basics of how Donald Trump operates his connections with the Russians, his disregard for the law, his disregard for the truth, are all in my book. I did write a column which came out yesterday in The Hill, though, on 21 questions that I think the House Judiciary Committee ought to ask Robert Mueller when he comes before them. Because, yes, you can plow through his report and pull things out, but, you know, one out of 500 Americans are going to do so. I think right. it's very important that the committee extract from Mueller in clear and concise ways how Donald Trump has abused power, colluded with the Russians, and obstructed justice, even if the special counsel could not conclude on a technical basis that he should be charged beyond a reasonable doubt with crime. I love the quote on the back of your book. It's from Alexander Hamilton, the Federalist, I believe it's Federalist 56. Impeachment yeah. will proceed from the misconduct of public men or, in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. And they relate chiefly to injuries done immediately to the society itself. That's a very different working definition of impeachment than what I think we have been dealing with recently and all these, you know, everybody's slicing and dicing all the technicalities of who committed what and how and why and is it an impeachable offense, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Can you speak to that as a professor in the Department of History at American University? Yes. There is a context here. There is a, a deep context here. First of all, let me say that the framers did not regard impeachment as a catastrophic event. Quite the contrary. The framers were shrewd, practical politicians. They know that all men were corruptible, all men needed to be checked. And so they put impeachment into the Constitution as a legal, orderly, and peaceful means for dealing with a rogue president or other officials such as judges. And they expected that impeachment would be employed. And it was an alternative to the way in which rogue leaders were dealt with in their own time in the 18th century by assassination or revolution. And they very decidedly did not put impeachment into the hands of the judiciary, where it would have been a technical legal matter. Rather, they put impeachment into a political body. The sole authority to impeach is in the hands of the House of representatives. If they impeach, you then have a trial presided over by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and then the Senate votes on removal, and it takes two-thirds. But impeachment only takes a simple majority. And the framers were very clear that impeachment was not equivalent to a criminal violation on the statute books. Statute books change 
all the time. Campaign finance law violations, for example, didn't even exist at the time of the framing of the Constitution, you know, well over 100 years later before any of those laws were put into effect. But they were very clear that impeachment, as Alexander Hamilton pointed out, was designed to check a president who was abusing his power, undermining our democracy, undermining our national security. There's a tremendous confusion about that. The second thing that people are confused about, Tom, is the difference between impeachment and an impeachment inquiry. And that's been muddled together in the current debate. What I've been advocating is not a rush to impeachment at all, but rather the beginning of an impeachment inquiry. That's just the first step. Yeah. It's not equivalent to impeachment. Now, they, it is essential because you cannot focus the attention of the American people on scattered investigations in six different committees. It's just going to f- confuse everyone. And Donald Trump is a master at confusion and deflection. There is no substitute for the formality and focus of an impeachment investigation and the public hearings that would be part of it the way they were during Watergate. Now, there's two things with regard to an impeachment hearing, beginning the process. And I think that uh, Hillary Clinton in her op-ed in the Washington Post yesterday pointed out there was a big difference between the way this was handled in 74 with Nixon, where the Senate went through a whole series of investigations to the point that they had laid out all the criminality of Richard Nixon that got public opinion in favor of impeachment above 50 percent before they referred that, you know, before the House referred it to the Senate for actual impeachment. Well, actually, before Nixon resigned, compared to 1998, when as soon as the Ken Starr report came out in all its lurid pornographic detail, the House immediately voted to impeach. And that might have been because they didn't want to have, you know, long, drawn out debates about it, because the guy leading that debate, Newt Gingrich, was, you know, going back to his office and getting it on with his mistress, Kalista, the guy who was, you know, another guy who was managing the floor, uh, Bob Livingston was having an affair. Another one who was managing the floor, Bob Barr of Georgia, was having an affair. I mean, as I recall, all but one of the people who were leading the impeachment process in the House representatives were actively having extramarital relations while they were doing that. But in any case, that uh, number one, during an impeachment inquiry, the House acquires some of the powers of the Article III branch of the judiciary in terms of its ability to compel testimony and subpoena things that they might not otherwise have. And number two, that the Constitution says that the pardon power of the president, which could be theoretically used like uh, Trump apparently did, according to Mueller, in the case of Paul Manafort, to say, just, you know, hang in there, don't rat me out, and I will take care of you by the end of my presidency, that that impeachment power is suspended during an impeachment process. Are those two observations accurate? And if so, how so? To what extent do they play a role in all this? Sure. I'm not sure that the president's pardon power would be suspended. That hasn't been tested. But it is absolutely clear that the president cannot pardon himself during an impeachment inquiry Uh. or doing a trial. Impeachment is independent of the president's pardon power. And that is crystal clear. And while the House normally has subpoena power, the president, of course, as we've now seen, has no respect for the separation of powers or for the oversight responsibilities of the Congress and has been stonewalling and resisting. And that could go on for a very long time. But I do believe 
if you had an impeachment inquiry going on, any resistance by the president would be met with a much more hostile response on the part of the judiciary. Let me close by saying, during Watergate, as you say, you had the Senate investigation, you had the special prosecutor investigation, and you had an impeachment investigation. So a special prosecutor or independent counsel investigation is not a substitute for an impeachment investigation. They're doing very different things. Right. To what extent do you expect this thing to play out in the near future? I think the Democrats really have a moment of truth here. I think if they refuse even to have an impeachment investigation, they will have become, in a sense, the worst enablers of Donald Trump than even the Republicans, because they have no political reason not to do it. And they will have then empowered Trump, as he has been throughout his life, to do whatever damage he wants without a fear of consequence. And that would be a terrible thing. That would be in direct violation of what Alexander Hamilton was talking about. Professor Lickman, can you stick around and answer a couple more questions? Certainly. Great. We've got to take a break here. It'll just be very, very brief, and we'll continue the conversation. Professor Alan J. Lichtman is with us. His book, The Case for Impeachment, he's the Distinguished Professor of History at American University. His Twitter handle is Alan, A-L-L-A-N, Lichtman, L-I-C-H-T-M-A-N. Does your current office chair support you? I mean, if you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down, but can you sit in it for hours before it becomes uncomfortable? You know, I I broke my back skydiving back when I was 20 years old, and finding a good chair has been a lifelong struggle. The X-Chair has this dynamic variable lumbar support. They call it DVL. The X-Chair's DVL was designed to adjust to you, and every other part of the chair can be custom adjusted to fit you. That's why the X-Chair is equally supportive, whether you're 5'2 and 110 or 6'4 and 250. And now with the introduction of the X-Basic model, there's an X-Chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-Chair's on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWheels and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair xchairtom.com This is the Tom Hartman program Professor Lickman with regard to subpoena power is the subpoena power of the House of Representatives expanded significantly during an impeachment inquiry. And specifically, here's my concern. If Jerry Nadler holds in contempt of Congress, for example, Secretary Mnuchin for refusing, or the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service for refusing to turn over Trump's taxes, and then, you know, they defy that and he issues an arrest warrant, that arrest warrant, and correct me if I'm not sure I completely understand this process, that arrest warrant would have to go to the Department of Justice because that's where the police powers, you know, in the Article II police powers are, that's where they reside, to actually arrest Steve Mnuchin. And Bill Barr, who is the chief of that department, the attorney general, can simply say, no, I'm not going to go arrest him. And then what does Congress do? And has that ever happened before in our history? And does an impeachment inquiry allow any mechanism to get around that barrier? It does. And by the way, I think William Barr is the most treacherous Attorney General in the history of the country. Yes, Richard Kleindienst pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor while 
attorney general, for lying to Congress, but he was a peripheral figure in Watergate. William Barr is at the center of the inquiry surrounding Donald Trump and has repeatedly lied, created omissions, misrepresented the findings of the special counsel solely to protect Donald Trump. That's a violation of his oath of office. But there's only one remedy here. You're absolutely right. Justice Department doesn't force subpoenas. But here's the remedy, and it's unique to an impeachment inquiry. One of the articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon was his noncompliance with legally issued subpoenas by the Congress. Really? So... Absolutely. I'm sorry, I missed that. That was one of three articles okay. voted by the House Judiciary Committee that led to his resignation. By the way, another one was obstruction of justice. Right, I knew that. Another yeah. one was abuse of power, all of right. which apply yes. to Donald Trump. So they could, as a remedy, vote that as an article of impeachment, even without hearing from any of those subpoenaed witnesses. And as I said, he can't get around that. That would trigger by itself a trial in the Senate. But if you have to drag somebody before the House in order to compel testimony and the Justice Department refuses to do that, I mean, all Congress has is the sergeant at arms, isn't it? Right. That's what I'm saying. The real remedy is the remedy in the Nixon case, and that is the House can vote an article of impeachment. Oh, I see. So essentially what you're saying is we're not even going to hear from these witnesses. We're just going to go right ahead and, and try to convict the president. Well, I think a legitimate grounds, as in the Nixon case, is the refusal of the president to comply with subpoenas, which are essential for the U.S. House to carry out its constitutional duty. And about a third of Republicans in the House Judiciary Committee voted for that article of impeachment. Professor Alan J. Lichtman is with us, the distinguished professor of history at American University. The book is The Case for Impeachment. talking with Professor Alan J. Lichtman, the distinguished professor of history at American University, his book, The Case for Impeachment. And I just asked him about whether in an impeachment case, if there was a way around the fact that the Justice Department has to enforce arrest warrants or citations for contempt of Congress or whatever it may be. And he suggested that one of the one of the three articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon was specifically because Nixon refused to enforce congressional subpoenas, of course, which is what Trump and Barr are doing right now. And you were going to add to that, and then I've got a follow-up question for you, Professor Lickman. Yeah, and they could also go ahead, because there's enough evidence in the special counsel's report to impeach him on other grounds as well, including obstruction of justice. And Mm. what I was going to say was, in my view, having read the Mueller report, having written about Donald Trump, And having followed the Clinton impeachment, the case on obstruction against Donald Trump is 10 times stronger than the obstruction case against Bill Clinton, for which nearly every Republican in the House voted to impeach, and nearly every Republican in the Senate, except maybe half a dozen, voted to convict. And the case is on a vastly more important matter than a private consensual affair goes to the heart of our democracy and national security. Amen. So the other question I had for you, there are people who are kind of dreaming out loud that if we were to impeach Donald Trump for corrupt activity and practices, that that could then lead to subsequent impeachments of 
people who were essentially the fruit of the poison tree, Kavanaugh being on the court, or for that matter, just Gorsuch being on the court as a result of Mitch McConnell refusing to allow a president to actually have his nominee as the Constitution provides for. Is that just, you know, pipe dream stuff? I think it probably is pipe dream stuff. You know, after the impeachment of Andrew Johnson and the impeachment of Bill Clinton, a lot of people are talking about politically weaponizing impeachment, and that just hasn't happened. The House has been very, very circumspect about impeachment. We've only had two presidents actually impeached by the full House, maybe about 15 to 20 judges no cabinet members, so the House has taken great care with its power of impeachment. So you would not see an impeachment, or even an impeachment of somebody like Steve Mnuchin or Bill Barr? I don't see that happening, no. Yeah. Although I that... think the focus would be on the president, although I certainly can see grounds for impeaching William Barr. Mnuchin, a little trickier. Yeah, and the House certainly has the power to hold William Barr responsible, do they not? Absolutely. Federal officials are subject to impeachment. Yeah. Judges, and, federal officials, presidents, and vice presidents. And just like everything else, that would have to originate with the Judiciary Committee? Yes. In the House of Representatives? By the way, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, is my old high school debate partner at Stuyvesant High School in the 1960s. Oh, how great is that? Yes. Well, you know, I've been watching him for a while now, and he's really good at what he does. And, he sure uh, is. And I'm guessing you are, too. So, Professor Alan J. Lichtman, Distinguished Professor of History at American University. His book is The Case for Impeachment. And, Professor, thank you so much for dropping by today and talking with us. I enjoyed it. Let's do it again. Me too. Back at you. We will. Professor Lichtman. And his Twitter handle is uh, Alan Lichtman, L-I-C-H-T-M-A-N. Today we're reading from a book by Elizabeth Holtzman, one of the former U.S. Congresswomen who sat on the committee that considered impeaching Richard Nixon. And this book is titled The Case for Impeaching Trump. Just came out. This is from the first chapter titled Impeachment. When Donald Trump's presidential election victory was announced in the early morning hours of November 9, 2016, like many Americans, I rubbed my eyes in disbelief and dismay. Two questions raced through my mind. What had become of America that a man so unfit, so small-minded, so mean-spirited could be elected? A man whose ethnic and racial bigotry had set the stage for his presidential run when he called Mexicans rapists and made racist birther attacks on President Barack Obama, whose vulgarity and misogyny were laid bare in the Access Hollywood tape when he bragged about forcibly grabbing women by their genitals, whose performance at presidential debates showed him not only flagrantly ill-informed, but manifestly unwilling to get informed? My second question was how much harm this man would do to America as its 45th president. I have my answer now to the latter, less than two years after the election. President Trump has damaged American democracy far more than I would have guessed. He has refused to protect our system of free elections from foreign interference. He has relentlessly attacked the administration of justice, in particular the investigation into a possible conspiracy with Russia regarding the 2016 presidential election, putting himself above the rule of law. He has failed to separate his personal business from the country's flaunting the Constitution's requirements, and he has violated the constitutional rights of the people in separating children from parents at the southwest border without due process of law. And to cover up these misdeeds, he has systematically lied to and assailed the press. 
These are great and dangerous offenses that the framers of our Constitution wanted to counteract and thwart. They provided a powerful remedy, impeachment. Many tremble at the word, fearing how President Trump's supporters will react to an impeachment inquiry, worrying that it will only further polarize an already deeply divided nation, or that there will not be enough votes in the Senate to convict him if the House of Representatives votes to impeach. Just calling for an inquiry will be viewed as a Democratic Party attack on the head of another party, a kind of coup d'etat. It's easy to find reasons to be anxious, but I'm not afraid. As a junior congresswoman, the youngest ever elected at that time, I served on the House Judiciary Committee that voted to impeach President Richard Nixon for the high crimes and misdemeanors he committed in connection with the Watergate cover-up and other matters. Through thorough, fair, and above all, bipartisan, the committee acted on solid evidence presented in televised hearings that riveted the nation, handing us the blueprint for how impeachment can be successfully pursued today. In our 225 years of constitutional democracy, the Nixon impeachment process has been proven to be the only presidential effort that worked. Though Nixon resigned, the only president ever to do so, two weeks after the committee's impeachment vote, he did so to avoid the certainty of being impeached and removed from office. We became a better nation for having held the president accountable. All of which raises two further questions. Should we be considering the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump? Will we again become a better nation by pursuing that option? To answer, we need to set aside President Trump's unremitting attacks on the environment, on our close allies, on the Affordable Care Act, and any disagreements we have over policy, as well as any personal animus, and simply ascertain whether he has engaged in the kind of egregious conduct that would meet the constitutional standards for impeachment and removal from office. This means we have to focus sharply on his potentially impeachable offenses. In doing so, we will find it useful to compare them, when possible, to similar offenses by President Nixon, found to be impeachable by the House Judiciary Committee in 1974. Here is a list of some of President Trump's potentially impeachable offenses developed as of this writing. A possible interference with or obstruction of the administration of justice and an abuse of power. On May 9, 2017, Trump fired FBI Director James Comey, who is investigating both his national security advisor, Michael Flynn, and Russia's connections to the Trump campaign in connection with influencing the 2016 presidential election. Two days later, President Trump admitted to NBC's Lester Holt that Comey's firing had to do with that, quote, Russia thing. In other words, President Trump acknowledged that he was trying to shut down the FBI investigation into his own possible conspiracy with Russia. Flynn has since pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. The Comey firing uncannily echoes Nixon's firing of the special Watergate prosecutor for seeking highly damaging information about that president, a brazen defiance of the rule of law that triggered the start of impeachment proceedings against Nixon, a second possible interference with or obstruction of the administration of justice and an abuse of power. President Trump has persistently and publicly attacked those heading the Russia investigation, including Special Counsel Robert S. Mueller III and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and has repeatedly condemned Attorney General Jeff Sessions for recusing himself, suggesting that he wants to fire any and all of them in order to get control of the Russian investigation. He actually did give an order to fire Mueller. The case for impeaching Trump by Elizabeth Holtzman. Hey, Tom Harbin here. You know, we've been talking on this program for years now about the benefits of CBD 
And I just, in the last few months, discovered New Leaf Naturals CBD oil. It is the premium, organic, highly concentrated, pure CBD oil. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, is grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's N-U-Leafnaturals.com. Save 30% off and receive free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, T-H-O-M. Go to N-U-Leafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Brian in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Hey, thanks for taking my call. You sort of already covered some of what I was wanting to get your thoughts on on the last call, but uh, it's in terms of Donald Trump saying that he's just going to take impeachment to the Supreme Court, which I understand and you understand is currently not a thing. Right. (laughs) But if Donald Trump just says, no, I'm not doing that. Oh, I'm impeached, which he will never get impeached by the Senate. But even if he were, he's just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving office. Then short of police dragging him out in cuffs, which we know will never happen, and even that would go to a court case, which would eventually go to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is controlled by him. So people saying that he can't not be impeached because he's going to sue or whatever, he can if the powers that be aren't willing to hold him accountable, and they're not. Well, this this is where John Roberts might end up being the guy who saves the republic. I mean, we'll see. John Roberts certainly wasn't willing this week to be the guy who saved workers, right? Workers were suing for the right to have class action arbitration, you know, to have a whole bunch of workers in a company be able to take their employer to court. And in a five to four decision this week, all five right wingers, including John Roberts, said, no, workers can't do that. Screw you, workers. Uh, You know, if you want to if you want to challenge your employers, get a union. Oh, by the way, we're not going to help you get unions either. But on the other hand, John Roberts is increasingly concerned about the history being written about the, quote, Roberts court. His name is going to be attached to this court for all time, basically. And if it were to come to Trump actually losing an impeachment vote and refusing to leave office, I'm guessing John Roberts would not be on his side. I would hope so. But putting my faith in this country continuing as is, uh, not as is the last two years, but as is for 200 plus years uh, in John Roberts is like, I I feel like I just want to give up. I know it's a very it's a very thin read, but do not give up. (laughs) Do not give up and don't feel like that. It's like we need to go forward with this. Brian, thank you for the call. It's good to hear from you. Beth in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Beth, what's up? I heard is it Richard Painter today talking about how if we're starting hearings, we should put an end date on that hearing and then say, as you know, after six weeks or whatever, we're going to hold a vote. He feels that there's enough evidence already out, even if people don't show up to testify. But he feels that there is enough evidence to go ahead and impeach anyway, which I think a lot of us do. But I thought that was a really good way out of this concern about just holding hearings and it not leading to anything and people saying, oh, it's the Democrats just dilly-dallying again. But uh, what do you think about that? Frankly, I think that the House will, within the next month or so, 
There's a few things that they're doing right now to establish that they're trying to investigate the president and the White House. Trump, of course, is saying no to everything and is becoming the obstructor in chief. And at a certain point, they're going to need more essentially power and creating an impeachment inquiry gives them that kind of power. What happened, and, and Hillary Clinton pointed this out in her Washington Post op-ed, although I've been saying this for weeks now, essentially the same thing. What she pointed out, and it was a piece of nuance actually that I was not all that familiar with, what she pointed out was that back in 74, the Senate Judiciary Committee, which you know, would try an impeachment, the Senate Judiciary Committee was investigating Richard Nixon for months and finally reached the point where it was obvious that Nixon was going to get impeached. And that's when he resigned. On the other hand, in 1988, when Newt Gingrich was leading the impeachment in the House, as soon as the Ken Starr report in all its pornographic glory came down and the attorney general released everything, including all the grand jury testimony and nothing was redacted, as soon as that happened, Newt Gingrich called the impeachment vote, held the vote, threw it to the Senate. And uh, it, it, it would you know, it, it, it didn't work in the Senate because they hadn't taken the time to build the case for the American people that what Clinton did was impeachable. I mean, you know, what he did was he lied about having an affair and, and, and he didn't even consummate the affair by his own uh, definitions of sex at the time and, 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 and those of many Americans, I suppose. And, and so it was just like it was a non-event. And what she is saying in the Washington Post, and what I've been saying is, these hearings will either swing public opinion or they won't. And if they swing public opinion in a substantial way so that you get more than half of Americans saying, yes, Trump should be impeached, then you're going to start seeing Republicans falling like dominoes, because I think probably most of the Republicans in the Senate would like to see Trump out of there. They view him as a, as a, a serious problem for the Republican Party, both short and long term. But they're terrified of him. But, you know, and it's the old Shakespearean notion of, you know, if you're going to kill the king, be sure that you, or if you're going to try to kill the king, be sure that you do, because if you don't, you will be the next one who gets crucified. Uh, kill the king is probably a terrible metaphor because, you know, it's, it involves killing, but you, you get my point. If these Republican senators, they know that if they vote against Trump and they don't take him out, he's going to wreak revenge on them like he did with Bob Corker and Jeff Flake. And they're all scared to death of that. So I think that having the hearings labeling them impeachment hearings sometime in the next month or two, which causes the Judiciary Committee to acquire a whole brand new set of powers that the House of Representatives typically does not have, powers that are reserved for the third Article Three branch of government, the judiciary, ah, supercharged subpoena power and things like that. I think that that's the way that you convince the American people that, that this would work. I see all that. I'm just really concerned about this business of drawing it out and their complete refusal to follow the law in, in establishing the investigation. I get all that, and Beth, but let me just toss mm -hmm. something in here. If this whole process plays itself out in the next six months, there will still be an entire year before the election for Donald Trump and the American people to put behind them the unsuccessful impeachment hearings, if that's what happens. You know, it will be as if it never happened. If they can basically drag this thing out, if the Democrats in the House, with small measures, can drag this out for five or six months and then open the impeachment hearings around the time of the Republican convention, um, you know, next spring. <laughs> no, seriously. Then those serious impeachment hearings will bring in the witnesses that will bring down 
the vote for Trump. I mean, it's just just like the same way that James Comey dropped the story that he was investigating Hillary's emails. Oh, we found more emails on Anthony Weiner's computer. And that cost her three points in the, in the public opinion polls overnight. And she never recovered from that. I mean, that was just a few weeks before the election. So the extent to which a lot of this can be done next year or late this year, but in particular next year, is the extent to which it'll actually influence the election. Stuff happening right now, by and large, is not going to influence the election. So unless they really think that they can impeach him and remove him from office, unless they really think that they've got the Republican votes, which they don't and they know they don't, then it would be a very dangerous thing to be doing. Certainly without Republican votes and on the basis of public opinion, you're right. It's it's just fascinating because I, I came into this, you know, I think... Boy, that's the answer. (laughs) And now I'm hearing a good case for prolonging it, which I never expected. Yeah, yeah. A political case actually is a very, very strong case for dragging this thing out for five, six months. And that may be Nancy Pelosi's game plan. I have no idea. The legal case, which is what we're all focusing on and everybody's looking at, is like, you know, right now, if Barack Obama had committed a quarter million dollar campaign fraud that by and large caused him to get elected and caused John McCain to lose an election, you can bet that the Republicans would have impeached Barack Obama. And that's what Trump did with paying off Stormy Daniels and and Karen McDougal. And that's probably the least of his crimes, right? But that's the one that everybody knows that's already been through a judicial process, that Michael Cohen is going to prison for writing the check that Donald Trump ordered him to write. I mean, there's crimes just kind of laying around on the ground. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But but the question is, what's what's the best time to present them? And I'm guessing that Nancy Pelosi is a wiser head than I. She has certainly been doing this a lot longer than I have. Generally speaking, her judgment, I think, has always been proven, by and large, has been proven to be right. Beth, I need to move along, but thank you for the call. Josh, is it? It's Jacques. It's the French. J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. Oh, okay. (laughs) Got it. Hey, Jacques, what's up? Thank you very much, Tom. I'm very excited to be on your show. I love it. And I've been listening to you and watch you on TV anytime you've been at Bill Maher or any other. And I will be talking about impeachment. Something that happened, and it's not mentioned often in the media, surprisingly, is that Nancy Pelosi opposed the impeachment of George Bush in 2006, despite the fact that George Bush lied not only to America, but to the world, send us in a senseless war where thousands of people lost their lives, millions, billions of dollars wasted, a complete lie for which he has never apologized. And so she gave him an olive branch and promised to work with him on a bipartisan way. You know, I, I know many Democrats were not very happy with that. So here's my take apparently doing the same. Impeachment, I'm concerned why it has to be a political issue. These people have been sworn to protect the Constitution. It's about the Constitution. It's about morality. It's about ethic. If we don't impeach Trump now, what kind of precedent do we send for anybody else who will be in the White House? I I agree, Jacques. I I, I absolutely agree. And I think the same thing could be said about not following up on the crimes committed with Iran-Contra and Iraq-Gate by Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush. 
and not following up on, frankly, other crimes committed by George W. Bush, like torturing people. The absolute failure to hold Republican presidents accountable for the crimes that they've committed and the absolute aggressive enthusiasm with which Republicans hold Democrats accountable for things like having an affair is breathtaking. Yes. And Elizabeth Warren said something very interesting. She said, you know, it doesn't matter whether the Senate will pass the impeachment, will convict or not. We are we are writing history. Right. So if the Congress pass an impeachment act and the, con- the, the Senate failed to convict, each of those senators will have to explain to their constituency because the impeachment is kind of an investigation in itself. Yeah. It's not just that the Mueller report will be included. Trump has done countless things. You know, the emolument clause. Right, which Mueller uh, never looked violated. at. His criminality before he came into office, Mueller never looked at. His his campaign finance violations, which are major felonies, go to prison felonies. Michael Cohen is going to prison for one of these, of paying off Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal to keep them quiet prior to the election. These are all impeachable offenses. These are all felonies. These are all things anybody else would be in prison over right now. And yeah, he should be impeached. And there's like this stuff is just laying around on the ground. I'm with you, Jack. I'm absolutely with you. I need to move along, though. Thanks for the call. Sharon in Albany, New York. Hey, Sharon, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on Free Speech. Oh, thank you. Hi, Tom. Thank you for keeping me sane. I totally agree with you and Jock, the previous caller on impeachment, but what are your thoughts on delaying impeachment hearings until, God forbid, re-election in hopes that the Senate picks up more Democrats? If he's not re-elected, then he can be prosecuted criminally if we wanted to go that route. And then perhaps there'd be more Senate Democrats, and it would be you're achievable. Right. You're right. And, and that's a possibility. It's that's high stakes, you know, political poker. But you're right. That's a possibility. The other reason to delay it or at least to stretch things out between now and, say, July or August and then really start pouring the steam on early next year is that you want the really bad stuff about Donald Trump to be coming out as close to the election as possible, you know, just from a pure kind of Frank Luntz political you know, how do we make this happen? Point of view. Right. So I, at least I would think so. So, but I, you know, we'll see, Sharon. Sharon, thank you for the call. Uh, great point. Bill in St. Helens, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind? Yeah, hi, Tom. I keep coming back to, he, he seems to be prepared to challenge every law that might disadvantage him. And yet I keep looking at Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution that says, he shall take care, capital C, that the laws be faithfully executed. I don't read anywhere in there that it's a duty to challenge every law he disagrees with. So I would I would argue that he's engaging in an impeachable offense every time he challenges a law that's on the books. So the segue back to Biden, you and I are contemporaries, Tom. Biden's had 45 years of public service to make a difference, and he hasn't made one. And anybody that watched the Anita Hill trial, and let's face it, it was an Anita Hill trial, uh, would have be hard-pressed to, to support Yeah, that was 30 thing. years so, ago, Bill. I don't think that that's Joe Biden anymore. I would yeah, not want to be judged like by what I was saying and doing 30 years ago. I agree, but I say he's had 45 years to make a difference. What difference has he made? He's kind of the get-along, go-along guy. If you watch biographies and things about him, he kind of takes the path of least resistance. I'm not sure 
That's the person we want running our country at this point in history. Well, we may end up with it. (laughs) So, you know, like I said, I I don't want to do the circular firing squad. I take it your vote is no on Joe Biden. I got that. By the way, I do want to mention the She the People event. Elizabeth Warren apparently just walked away with that. And she did it by talking about the fact that black maternal mortality and black infant mortality, African-Americans, particularly in the South and the United States, are literally getting killed. We've got mortality rates, death rates, that are higher than any other developed country in the world. Now, the reason is fairly obvious. These are also the, these Southern states are also the states where the governors refuse to expand Medicaid. And so people don't have access to health care and that there's widespread poverty. But this this is what Elizabeth Warren was talking about at the She the People conference. And she was saying, let's just hold hospitals accountable. Let's say if you don't improve the maternal and infant mortality rates, you're not going to get the money. And people were just they they loved it. Thanks for the call. Rich in Central Woolley, Washington. Hey, Rich, what's on your mind today? Could Congressman Nadler say, okay, we need Trump's taxes within 24 hours. They're not here. You're in contempt of Congress, at which point we're going to start fining you $1,000 a day and one day in jail until we have Trump's taxes. And this will be enforced by the DOJ at some point when we have in the DOJ who's willing to enforce it. Therefore, they can accumulate these penalties and fines until Trump is out of office and still be penalized. They can look forward to that. Yeah, I I don't know how that would work, Rich, but I agree with your sentiment. And I think that the penalties should be the maximum that the statute provides for. Steve from Topanga, California, watching us on uh, YouTube. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Why couldn't Jerry Nadler subpoena the commissioner of the IRS, bring him before the committee, and have him bring uh, Trump's tax returns. And if he doesn't do it, or he shows up, he could hold him in contempt and put him in jail right there. He could. And I think that that's next up. They got to play hardball. I agree. You know, I agree. Trump is already playing hardball. He's talking about treason. He's talking, right, I mean, exactly. you know, he's, he's using he's using the language of war and and the Democrats can't be. I'm sorry, you got to bring a chainsaw to a knife fight or at right. least a knife. Right? Exactly. <laughs> OK, thank you, Steve. Michael in uh, Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Hi, Tom. This was brought up before as far as the 2020 election is concerned. But what if Trump is impeached and convicted, but physically refuses to leave the White House, and would John Roberts automatically swear in Mike Pence, and would we have two presidents? I'm kind of confused on that one. I think that John Roberts is going to do what the Constitution says, and I think it's extremely unlikely Trump will refuse to leave the White House. You know, in the last election, apparently it was the voice of of Russia, who knows, but, you know, it came through uh, WikiLeaks, was saying to the Trump campaign, and maybe to Trump himself, because everybody expected him to lose, including Trump. He didn't even have a victory speech written, was saying, hey, when you lose, start, you know, yelling and screaming about voter fraud and election fraud and all this kind of stuff and, and refuse to accept the results of the election. And this, of course, would make Hillary Clinton look like an illegitimate president for the next four years. And, and it'll hurt her and her ability to do her agenda. I mean, they weren't as 
they didn't fill in all the blanks like I just did, but basically that's what they were saying. And I think it's entirely possible that if Trump loses the election in 2020, he's going to be a sore loser. He's going to yell and scream like that. You're going to have a whole conspiracy Absolutely. theory about it. I mean, there are still people who think that Jack Kennedy only won in 1960 because Mayor Daley you know, was uh, throwing voting machines in the Chicago River or Lake Michigan or something or whatever. <laughs> when it turns out that even if Chicago had gone entirely for Richard Nixon or Illinois had gone entirely for Richard Nixon, Jack Kennedy still would have won the White House. So, you know, these conspiracy theories die hard, right? They don't go down okay. easily. And Trump I is... I know Bill Maher brings it up a lot in the show, and he's very worried about it. And I, I kind of listen to him, so I'm a little worried, too. But That Trump might not, not leave office. Yeah, in 2020, he mostly... Had, yeah. He, yeah. he won't walk out of the White House, and maybe he'll have his goons like, you know, Buzz Windrup in that book, and... And uh, it's a little worrying. If the United States is going to go down the road that Sinclair Lewis laid out and it can't happen here, that's when it will happen. I, I put it at about a 5% chance, but, it, but the fact that it's higher than zero is, it, it should be, you know, making us all a little nervous. Michael, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Joe in Cupertino, California. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind? I, I cannot see a president saying lying in state. His name is Donald Trump. I mean, I just can't see it. I don't want him buried at Arlington Cemetery. I'm just embarrassed by this president. I don't see how you can let... I'm going to ask you a question. If you're impeached successfully, do you get to be buried in Arlington Cemetery and enjoy all of the privileges afforded to, I mean, George Bush? That's not what yeah. happened with Richard Nixon. But frankly, I don't know what the rules are, Joe. I'm sorry. He didn't get impeached. Nixon didn't get impeached. My father was rolling in his grave. They never did it to him. So, of course. Well, he, he didn't resign, though. I mean, you know, it's. But he got a library. So do we get a Trump library and does Trump get to lie in state? Oh, I'm, I'm, to go to Arlington? I'm sure there'll be a Trump library. <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe it'll be, well, you know, old copies of Playboy magazine, but there'll be a Trump library. If you want to motivate the American people, just bring out this because it's going to happen. He's going to uh, one of our great presidents is about you know, ninety years old at this point, yeah. and he's going to be an embarrassment. And I don't want Trump to benefit from his ill-gotten gains. I guess yeah. um, the way Lincoln. I, I, I absolutely understand where you're coming from, Joe. Joe, thank you for the call, uh, Lawrence in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lawrence, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I want somebody to explain to me how Mueller team could not find collusion when uh, or clear evidence of collusion between the campaign trump's campaign and russia when the campaign manager paul manafort met with klimnik the oligarch that's such good friends with putin and turned over internal republican polling data to him and met with him not once but several times to discuss strategy to get to the electoral college votes in the midwest right how is that not collusion it looks like collusion to me, and we probably shouldn't even use the word collusion because it's not a legal term. It, the, the word is conspiracy to defraud the United States. And that certainly appears to me like a conspiracy. Mueller was taking the most conservative position possible, and he was also taking the position that he could not prosecute, uh, you know, in any case, he, he couldn't indict the president. So this is why Congress needs to have hearings. This is why exactly that issue, Manafort's conversations with Russian oligarch, where he said, basically, we could use some help in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And surprise, those things need to be in front of the American people. This, the Mueller report is going to be read by a few thousand people.
I mean, that's it. Literally, a few thousand people, maybe a hundred thousand people at the most will actually read it. It might sell a million copies. Only about 3% of people who buy books actually read the whole book. It's not going to be read by people, but the information in it, as you point out, Lawrence, is absolutely startling. It's stark. It's amazing. This is why when Elizabeth Warren had a long airplane ride and she read the Mueller report, she was so shocked she came out the next day and said, okay, that's it. Impeach these guys. This is wrong. This is criminal behavior. We can't put up with it. And that's why, in my opinion, Jerry Nadler and the Judiciary Committee needs to convene an impeachment hearing. This is not necessarily to impeach the president. It's to determine whether there's enough evidence that the president is guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors worthy of impeachment. And, you know, we may decide no, but we need to have that process. I'm with you, Lawrence. Thank you for the call. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one own gold JT in Austin, Texas. Hey, JT, what's up? Who is leading what is the true populist movement in America today, that being the movement that opposes Trump? Because you've had a consistent majority of Americans opposed to Trump pretty much since he was elected. And that group ranges from, you know, like former Republicans such as Richard Painter to AOC and everyone in, in between. So this is a huge populist movement, not the fake populist movement that you know we hear about in the media, which is the right-wing authoritarian movement, right. but a genuine, broad-based, big-tent movement that opposes Trump. And like, who is the leader of this movement? And it seems to me, whoever can step in and grab this group, they're going to crush Trump. Well, the leader of that movement up until the last few months has been Bernie Sanders, but you know now Elizabeth Warren has laid claim to a good chunk of it. And I think yeah, there I mean, are a few other Democrats who are trying to. I'm not sure that they're having the success that Warren and Sanders have had. And you're so right, JT, in pointing out that Trump is running a populist campaign, and he's a phony populist. Since the Mueller report came out, Trump's poll numbers have dropped below like 40 percent. Right. But at the same time, support for impeachment also drops. And I'm wondering, is that not because the Democrats have been saying... We're, no, the, no hang on, JT. The reason why support for impeachment dropped, and it will be rising again, is because for three weeks, Bill Barr and Donald Trump and Fox News and right-wing hate radio and even the corporate media were saying, hey, no collusion, no crime, no obstruction. Donald Trump is pure as the driven snow. He's just fine. 
And now we know that that wasn't true. Those are lies from Bill You're Barr. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. But those lies from Bill Barr radically affected public opinion in the United States. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Jeremy in Glendora, California. Hey, Jeremy, what's on your mind? Hey, I just wanted to ask you with regard to all things Mueller, do you think that Trump, I know you don't think he deserves that much, but does he and the country deserve to know the complete origin in 2015, 2016, when the whole investigation got started and why? You're talking about the Mueller investigation? Correct. Everything, all things Russia, everything that birthed the entire narrative of right. collusion. Right. What about it? I don't understand your question. Do we deserve to know exactly when, why, and who it started? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Okay. For sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jer- Jeremy. Lee in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lee, what's on your mind? Yeah. I was just calling about Trump's tax returns. Everyone wants to see Trump's tax returns. It's not a law that he shows his tax returns, but why isn't anybody asking about people in Congress or say like Nancy Pelosi, their tax returns, where they've made millions. Their tax returns are all public, Lee. All these people have filed financial disclosure forms and you can find them all online or on their websites. Nancy Pelosi has laid out her tax returns. Steve in Sebring, Florida. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Hey, I had a couple of things, but the first thing is, is um, I've noticed a pattern of Trump when the bank rates go down, he tries to refinance his properties in order to gain the best advantage he can at a lower rate. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it except for the fact that he wants to put in two more guys on the Fed. And on the Fed, they're supposed to control the interest rate so that inflation or a depression or a recession doesn't happen. If he gets them guys in there and they lower the interest rate down, you're going to see people or banks like Dush Bank and maybe even the Bank of Cyprus wanting to lend him money. Right. Wilbur, Wilbur Ross's property. bank. A, no, you're right, Steve. When the interest rates go up, he's got a lower rate to pay on the same property he's been mortgaging for three times. Yeah, no, I get it. it. Up until now, we've all been saying, hey, wait a minute. He wants to put, you know, Stephen Moore and, Moore and, and these Herman Cain yeah, Herman Cain on the Fed because he wants to lower interest rates to juice the economy to get himself reelected. But you're saying it's not just to get himself reelected. It's so that he can refinance his properties at a lower interest rate and be more oh, profitable. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. It makes perfect sense, Steve. I, you know, I don't know if he's thinking that way. I in re- in, in, on reflection, I'd be surprised if he's not thinking that way because he seems to be thinking about his own interests all the time under all circumstances. Thanks so much for being with us today, for your calls, your thoughts, your arguments, your debates, the information. Special tip of the hat to Alan uh, J. Lichtman. And, you know, let's just not forget voting is a duty. Participation in a democracy is required if it's going to function well. And we would like our democracy to function well once again. So please get out there, get active, find something to do. There's always a niche where you can fit in and have a great time. Tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 